a catchy and unexpectedly thought-provoking track from the mid-90s. The song that gave us 1984's most celebrated music video, and a late 30s hit based on a 19th century nursery rhyme. You're listening to Themes and Variation. Themes and Variation is a podcast about music and perspectives brought to you by the online music school, Soundfly. I'm your host, Carter Lee. All right, folks, another Themes and Variation coming at you. And today we're talking about songs that you can recognize in the first five seconds. These are tracks that are so strong, so powerful. It's almost like magic. The the moment they come on, they kind of flash before your very eyes. And joining me for this deep dive into the instantly recognizable are, of course, my frequent co-host, Mahaya Lee, and musician, producer, songwriter, and educator, Brian Funk. In addition to being a remarkable musician, Brian's also an Ableton certified trainer. He makes his own found sound packs that you can find at brianfunk.com for Ableton Live. He's also teaching with my alma mater, Berkeley College of Music, and he happens to be the host of one of my favorite podcasts, the Music Production Podcast. And I actually had the pleasure of being on an episode a couple of weeks back. It has just been a joy getting to know Brian through the taping of his show and, of course, the episode that you're about to hear. And we get into all kinds of things on this episode, like the vocal versatility of The Cars, the garage rock perfection of Weezer, and the song that gave us Ella Fitzgerald. And of course, folks, if you are just a maybe curious musician or you're super advanced, you've been working at it for years, perfecting your craft, still trying to find your own voice, of course, be sure to check out soundfly.com. We have some incredibly extensive courses already out and some very exciting courses in the works with some remarkable artists that will be out very soon. And if you're enjoying the show, please give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, that is enough out of me. Let's get into the episode, Songs You Can Recognize in the First Five Seconds. All right, folks, another themes and variation coming at you. Joining me, of course, is Mahaya Lee. Mahaya, how are you doing? I'm good. I feel like I always take a bite of something or have a sip of something right before you ask that question, but I'm good. (laughs) Fantastic. We have a incredible guest joining us, educator, musician, and fellow podcaster as the host of uh, the music production podcast, Mr. Brian Funk. Brian, how you doing? Excellent. Thanks for having me. This is a lot of fun. Of course. Thanks for being here. I'm sure you get this all the time, but your name is probably one of my favorite (laughs) names of musicians uh, that I've come across. Do you get tired of that? I'm sure you you, you hear that quite a bit uh, with the with the last name Funk. <laughs> no, it's just like uh, you know, part of my life. Um, you know, one of those things that we probably all have those those things about ourselves that people always remark about. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it's that and being tall sometimes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. But for yeah, me, it's, it's having cool. two last names. I think that was always uh, mm. teachers could never get it growing up. It was always Lee Carter. <laughs> Uh, Anyways, uh, the name game, let's move on to the theme that we actually have loaded up today. So we're talking about songs that you can recognize in the first five seconds, songs that immediately come on and you can just, oh, yep, I love that song. I know that song. Maybe you don't love that song, but you just happen to know it really well. Were there any honorable mentions for either of you, songs that you didn't pick for this episode, but you considered anyways? Five seconds is not a lot of time. There were a lot of songs that I considered and then went back to listen to them and realized, you know what, it's not really till the 15 second mark or something like that, that you really know for sure it's what you think it is. Instantly recognizable is a a high bar to cross for sure. Brian, were there any tracks that you considered? Uh, I I know there are, there is a track you considered actually, because the one I picked was one that you considered. Yeah, the one you picked, I I almost (laughs) went with myself. Um, Yeah, I love this topic because it has to do with like sounds and like style and characteristic and uh you know that's just such a cool thing when a song jumps out at you immediately like oh i know that one and at a concert you know the first notes come out and everyone freaks out i was thinking about like um purple haze by mm-hmm. Jimi hendrix like right away you know that's yeah. him mm-hmm. 
Sweet Child of Mine by Guns N' Roses. Mm. Uh, was it Kids by MGM? MGM. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. They have a couple songs actually that like yeah. right away, you know. Um, a few by the band that I picked, and uh, honestly, a lot came to mind. Um, and and it was a fun exercise for me just to like think about like, oh wow, you know, the world. Uh, not the, that's not what it's called. Um, you know, the Smashing Pumpkins song, "The World Is a Fan." Yeah. yeah. What yeah. is that song called? I can't remember now. <laughs> a bullet with butterfly wings. Mm. The world is a vampire. You know, I think so many of these songs, too, that we end up picking for themes, it, it just depends on where you were when your life, in, in your yeah. life when you heard them and how you get attached to them. This theme in particular, um, songs you're instantly able to recognize. I went back to my youth for sure. That song, that Smashing Pumpkins song was absolutely constantly playing uh, in my CD player, or cassette <laughs> player, or whatever it was in the mid-90s. <laughs> but I'm flabbergasted that you did not pick Seven Nation Army after the time you spent mm. teaching that to children <laughs> back in college. And and that that line that it's taken on a life of its own as a chant in like mm-hmm. football stadiums, soccer stadiums, and things like it's just absolutely crazy the the life that that ha- that song and that riff have taken on. But I think I'm just so sick of it that I just couldn't <laughs> I couldn't pick it. The song I did pick, I absolutely still love. So why don't we get into listening to some music? We'll get into that song. Uh, Can I ask you right a question now? first, no. though? So yeah. the elements that actually make the song recognizable in the first five seconds. That was a tough thing for me to nail down because at first I was like, it's definitely sound based or like, you know, the sound of that guitar, the sound of that sample. But then, um, and Brian, you, you kind of alluded to this earlier, within the set of one band, you definitely recognize specific songs when they come up. So how much of it do you think is the sound and how much of it do you think is like the chord progression or the specific lick? Like, what's the element that really lets you know this is that song? I think that is sort of the like uh, mysterious artist touch, you know, that that personality thing, where it's the way they play or their their attitude or their style. Um, when you mentioned all the like uh, the Smashing Pumpkins song, you know, like five of them just popped into my head, you know, that just have mm-hmm. like a riff or Billy Corgan's voice is so yeah. specific, you know. Um, the like arena hype songs uh like seven nation army has become or um like we will rock you boom yeah. boom bop, you know? <laughs> yeah. like right away you know what it is um and it's such a simple thing smells like teen spirit mm-hmm. like it's like yeah. that was a new sound um yeah it's that's like that magical thing that's like if you are teaching like somebody how to play music like that's a hard thing to teach like here's mm-hmm. how you become like your own thing, your own style, your unique voice. Yeah. Or like when it comes to covers of certain songs, it's interesting how some covers will still have that. And others, like like Carter was saying, it's hard for him to hear the chord progression from Smells Like Teen Spirit without thinking of that song, no matter who's playing it, you know? Um, yeah, it's yeah. not It's not like the, the most unique progression. Um, I, yeah, I, I trying to place it in other songs and because it has been used countless times, I'm sure, but like I can't, it's just so specific to that track uh anyways let's let's listen to some music uh here we go folks we are of course listening to say it ain't so from weezer i like 
This is that track for me. If if I had, you know, gun to my head, pick your favorite song in the world, you got to listen to it for the rest of your life. I've come to the conclusion it is Say It Ain't So. That's this so is violent. probably. Well, yeah, you know, like I was trying to think of like a, a nicer <laughs> situation to be in, but yeah. the stakes are high, man. Sure, hey, sure. You got to pick uh, your favorite song. So I, I just can't remember a time when it didn't exist for me. I also just feel like I listened to it first. I first got hip to it. It came out in 94. Uh, on the debut record, which is henceforth known as the Blue Album, um, actually produced by Rick Okasik, which we will get into a little bit more, I'm sure, with our next selection. I'm very excited about that. Um, but yeah, just man, it's, it's so many songs on this record. My name is Jonas in yeah. the Grudge, Buddy Holly, Undone. Uh, like, but this song to me, I don't know. I first heard it. I'm sure it was probably on Much Music if it was in the <laughs> mid '90s in Canada. I'm sure I saw the video where they are in the garage. Uh, just throughout the whole thing, which is just so awesome. But and then it just kind of went away for me, I think, in my life. And I don't remember how I got truly rehip to it. But then as soon as I heard it again, it's like, oh, I love this song. I absolutely love this song. And that that has, you know, I've gotten to see him play it live a few times now, mm-hmm. and it's just continued to grow as a track. Um, Weezer, one of those bands where you can have the what's your favorite Weezer song uh discussion. Um any other songs pop out to you for either of you as your favorite Weezer song? Yeah. I mean, you think you know what your favorite Weezer song is, and then a different one comes on, and you're like, you know, all of a sudden you remember it exists. Um, I like Buddy Holly. The sweater song mm. for sure was the one in high yeah. school everybody would sing, you know? So that's got some nostalgia to it in a different way for me. This was my runner-up, this song, actually, funny enough. And it's, it is funny that you picked it because they are such a definitive band in my like musical growth, musical like development. This came out, I was 14, I was just starting guitar. And yeah. um, I, I remember the Sweater song came out. It didn't really move me too much. But when this song came out, I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. And I had to learn <laughs> it on guitar. Later that year... At the high school talent show, I was like a ninth grader and like these seniors played the sweater song in a band. And I was just like, oh my God, I got to get a band going. And it was just so mind blowing. And like the Blue Album became like one of those records that was like, as a kid, I was like, this is the kind of music I like. Mm. And then Pinkerton came out and that just blew me away. And you mentioned the falsetto vocals. Yeah. Like, I, I got to have Matt Sharp, the bass player, the original bass player on the podcast. And that was like talking to like one of your musical superheroes. Yeah, that's awesome. Flip on the telly, wrestle with Jimmy. Something is bubbling. When I was just searching even like Say It Ain't So to get get some other little facts about it that I maybe didn't know before, the you know, Google will type in like people also <laughs> search for. And the the first thing on people also search for was what does a lion uh, wrestle with Jimmy mean? <laughs> um, and it's that's Rivers Cuomo wrestling with his brother, Jimmy. So this is just about Rivers being 16 and actually has a very uh, solid meaning to, to the song. Are either of you familiar with, with the actual meaning of the, the lyrics for this track? I'm going to assume... Perhaps, but I, I honestly did not know. I think uh, it had to do with like um, uh, Rivers. I think I read an interview where he said like you know his father and his mother had split up, and he had a stepfather, and he saw a Heineken in the fridge, and it was yep. like about drinking, mm. and like oh no, like this this alcohol um, kind of thing. Like he saw it as like a invasion in his life, a threat. Uh, that is exactly right. Exactly right. He was sixteen. Uh, opened up the fridge, saw a single bottle of beer in it, and it it brought open like his dad when his his parents split had had become an alcoholic, and uh, he you know he had a lot of love for his stepdad and saw that bottle and was like oh no now now he's gonna split mm. because of alcohol and he was very afraid of of alcohol at least until the the legal drinking age of of twenty one in the United States <laughs> like the lyrics feel like somebody's heiny is is crowding my eyes but like that that's one of those lines you're like what. Like, wait, what? And then you get the meaning behind the lyrics and the entire song becomes illuminated, for sure. Somebody's 
basic chords. You get them, you get them as uh, seven chords, and then you get them as power chords for the chorus, of course. Uh, but your C minor seven, G major, but there is a seven in there in the vocals, so I, I like to call it G seven. Uh, a flat major and E flat major. The reason I bring the changes up are that I, I have seen. You know, you get those random sites that will list like the tempo and the key of a song. And I, I was seeing C minor come up a lot. And I would say that there's actually an E flat major. They share a key signature, of course, and, and that's great. And you like, you know, you might see that that those three flats and be like, oh, that's C minor for sure. The important thing is that if you're new to this kind of thing, you're trying to figure out harmony and, and things like that and listening for it. What does home feel like to you right. when you're listening to a track? And it's not, you know, the first chord is C minor. So you might think like, oh, well, that's the key of the song. But it E flat is absolutely tonic and home on this track when I listen to it. Part of what makes it so iconic sounding is that second chord. It's, uh, I think of it as... Uh, a flat being a guitar player because I think mm. Weezer always tunes flat. That's exactly yeah. But I guess yeah. that would be like a G really. But he's got the um, that that dissonant note there with um, if I'm, I guess that would be in my guitar language is a C and a B, which is really a B and an A flat. But playing those that one note with the open B string. Yeah. You know they do something like that in the sweater song too. And it's that's that's like a style, it's a sound, and um, they didn't have to do that, and you know could have left that out. But that's like the to me that's always been like sort of like the hook of that whole riff. Yep. And that that actually leads into exactly what. So I have a few things of what makes this track so recognizable, and the guitar parts are are first and foremost. Like if that's written on another on a piano, you could get that note to sustain through, but there's it's just different with a guitar when you're playing fretted notes and, and open notes. And Brian, you're actually like the perfect example of this. Cause I think that like this song hitting you and wanting to learn it on guitar, it's, it's an intermediate song. I think probably if you're, if you're new to guitar, there's the guitar solo is manageable, but if you've never learned a guitar solo before and you learn this one, it's like, I just climbed Everest, right? It yeah. feels like a, 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 a triumph for sure. It's like deceptive though. You know, it's like kind of easy at first. But then there's a lot of little things going on, and yeah. um, especially those little like riffs he plays in between the oh yeah, you know, those yeah. little uh, moving things. And um, yeah. I hear this song get covered all the time. But the thing that I always hear that gets kind of messed up is the tempo. It's slow. Yeah, and it really yeah, yeah, grooves. yeah. And it always comes out too fast when I hear yeah. it covered. You know, it's, yep. it's rushed, and and you really lose that like pause when he hits that E chord, and then the verse comes back in, or like the space between the chords and the chorus. It dun yep. dun dun dun. It's like a long time, mm -hmm. but if you play too fast, it just kind of mushes together. One of my favorite parts. There's so many favorite parts of the song to pull out, but the dose of feedback that you get heading into the chorus is just like you know. So I want to play that that moment of course uh, with you guys right here. so quiet and that like it's like the cloud you know the storm clouds coming that feedback and then yeah. boom the lightning <laughs> totally i think weezer has this really cool way of bringing the energy of a live performance to a recorded track mm -hmm. that you know like not a lot of people can do that and i think all those little things like the feedback hitting right there even with like the slower tempo hearing everything hit together in those moments it's just so fun. Like, even though that this, this is a darker song, there's an element of energy and excitement to it that it's hard to, yeah. Yeah. Uh, a testament to, to Rick Ocasek's production mm. on this and getting the, the, like, that performance out and getting that. Because so many times it gets lost in, in translation. Um, I do, just on the continuation of the, as we keep building and building on the song, you get a bunch more energy on the third verse, like a bunch more. Uh, and then you get that bridge. The bridge is just like, a beautiful build to i think one of the most singable guitar solos uh, of all time so i want to play that for you as well like 
solo is great. It's it's so fun to hear on the more sustained notes he hits. The the timbre of the、mm. guitar changes over time, like kind of almost like squeals into a little bit of extra harmonics at the top. I mean, just it's like so artful and yeah,、um, yeah, and and like that particular performance of it, like that they captured is it's perfect.、Mm -hmm. <laughs> Uh, the baseline is also super recognizable. The baseline doesn't get as much、um, mm. recognition. Like there is a very solid riff to it that Matt Sharp plays. Yeah, but it's just it's hard to cut through. It's hard to cut through as a bass player in any <laughs> mix. But it's hard to cut through this song because there's so many like just iconic、uh, parts to it. Yeah, it's guitar、oh, heavy.、Too. It's got all the it's got all the great like rock. Yeah, things Tropes, like the big、yeah. guitar, the drums, the awesome vocals, without ever getting cheesy. Yeah. Brian, what are we listening to? This is "You Might Think" by the Cars, off of、uh, 1984's "Heartbeat City." This this song, like just right away, um, you know, it's got like so many different sounds that are、yeah. so characteristics of the Cars. And I've been on the the hugest Cars kick for the last year、mm. or so.、Um, yeah, I always I always loved them. You know,、uh, kind of like never really took the deep dive. Um, we even used to cover、uh, "Just What I Needed" when we were in high school. It's a good song.、Um, <laughs> and a lot of the reason I got into the Cars was because of Weezer, because、uh, mm -hmm. Rico Kasich produced the Blue album.、Mm -hmm. yep. So,、um, and I think a few others of theirs too. But、um, it was like, oh, well, let's check out the Cars. You know, to see who are your influences, influences type of thing. Yeah. And、um, recently, one in that deep dive, and I'm just like blown away.、Um, Learning so much, and and now as I've grown too as a musician, I, you know, I was guitar rock bands, and then got into producing music and synthesizers and things. So like, they took on like another level of、mm. interest. Um, I think this song, um, for one, like right away, you you know what it is, and and it just has so many of the like really characteristic trademark Cars things going on throughout the song. Yeah. I was struck by this track. You mentioned all the parts, a lot of interesting synth parts, and in an era when I think a lot of bands bringing like synthesizers being fairly new and also super ubiquitous, there was a lot of cheese in it, but not the cars. <laughs> I think ever like I, I think the the sound design, the parts have all aged very, very, very well.、Yeah. That was mind blowing to me. Just listening back to it, it's like yeah, I've never. Thought of anything that they played, particularly with all the synth lines. There's a lot here, of course. Just what I needed. There's a number of songs I've come across in this deep dive where I'm like, I can't believe this came out in 1984 yeah, or, yeah. or 1982. Like, because it's got like an 808 drum beat and、yeah. like, you, you know. It's like these really cool synth sounds, and you're just like, "How this sounds like it came out yesterday." Yeah, yeah. This, it's it's wild. It's interesting too. I think some sounds kind of go in cycles, and so much of the like the cars, especially like this song in particular, it like you're saying, it sounds exactly like something that you would hear today. Like I'm wondering if we would all feel the same about the sounds if we were talking about this track seven years ago. You know. It just feels really in line with right now for some reason. <laughs> well, I was surprised to learn that、um, Mutt Lang produced this album.、Hmm. Um, who did Death Leopard? You know Shania、yeah. Twain.、Um, 
And it was always like those background vocals. When you listen to them, it's just like so thick and like sparkly. And um, it's and if you listen to Def Leppard, you know they got the same thing going on. Like it's yeah. like oh, probably a hundred layers of vocals, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yeah. But it's like this magical sound mm. uh, that just really supports it. And with the cars, I think it's just a great fit with a lot of the synth layers that are kind of like holding down and gluing things together. You might think it's hysterical. There's like Eddie Van Halen, right? You know, like these like big guys that jump out and yeah. um, are like in your face guitar heroes. But like when you listen to the cars, you're like, oh my God, listen to these parts he's playing. Yeah. It's so, such a perfect fit for the song, mm -hmm. you know, without taking over. And that's the kind of playing I love in like every, everybody um, where they just fit the song. Totally. Mm -hmm. And it's not even about them. It's about this is what the song needed in this moment. And if I happen to shine in what I'm doing, awesome, you know? Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of like playfulness in the cars. Um, they, they like dance on the line of silly uh, and cheesy but <laughs> when you look at it 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 isn't it's um it's also deep too and yeah. i think weezer has that mm -hmm. at their best too they have this thing where uh, like when you mentioned the uh background falsetto vocals and say it ain't so like if you just sing it it does feel kind of silly but it also adds like this vulnerability to the song. yes yeah you know? absolutely um and there's a lot of that in the cars that um I think just comes across so nicely. They'll feel genuine. You know, everything that yeah. they do is is like very authentic and like we're not trying to do anything because this is what we should do right now musically or just like, you know, they, they just look like they're having fun making music mm. and and that's that's awesome. That's something I've heard in interviews too um specifically with Elliot Easton. Um he's said they were so successful right off the bat. Um and you know they're all Berkeley musicians too, um, so that's like kind of how they all met. Um, so they know how to play, obviously. But um, they were so successful that like no one ever really told them what to do. Mm. They didn't have like the record people <laughs> yeah. saying like, you know, uh, you guys should really like perm your hair and <laughs> you know get the spandex on like everyone else. Um, yeah. So they got to be authentic and real, you know. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, there's a moment. I I mean the solo's fantastic, but I love when solos end with like a, a full on just unison line, right? The bass <laughs> jumps in and grabs as well. I want to play that that moment uh in this track. about that vocals doubled at the octave and guitarists playing high up where you're like i know this isn't like a super difficult moment but there's something so thrilling about it you know a lot of energy yeah lots of energy yeah. oh man uh any any um uh moments from the track uh you want to check out brian together i think uh that one moment uh i think it's right before the solo where um it's just uh his voice you yeah kept it going you could like hear his like mouth moving <laughs> <laughs> but you kept it going till the sun fell down you kept it going What's that thing called AS ASMR where you just like that like you get that yeah, brain yeah. massage from sound? There's something about that vocal <laughs> right. where I'm like, ooh, I could listen to him do this for a while. <laughs> it's so close to being creepy too. Exactly. <laughs> like you just get a little tingle in your spine for a second. The only thing not cars about this song is uh the vocals from Benjamin Moore. Hmm. Um the bass player, he sings like just what I needed and drive. Yep. You know? Yep. So they have two lead singers and to me like Rick Ocasek is almost like Buddy Holly. Mm. You know, he's yeah. got that like, oh, well, yeah. You know? <laughs> and uh, yeah, and uh, Benjamin Moore is almost like Elvis or, mm. or like Paul McCartney or something. You know, he's like a little, he's much, he's like a more refined singer, 
where Rick Ocasek is this more like percussive, like attitude. Like there's almost a character to it. There's there's yeah. characters in their songs. I love I love when singers have like a character. I say this too often on the show, but I, my favorite thing about music is the narrative and how people are able to use musical components to do that. And having options vocally, it just allows you to tell stories in more unique ways through the music rather than always committing to the same voice and the same vocal tone. Um, yeah, I like this. <laughs> I wonder what it would be like if they flipped the singers on this, though. Well, if you take like Drive, which is also on this record, I mean, it's just like, you know, this is more like upbeat and kind of like there's a quirk to it, but Drive is so like warm and sentimental, mm. um, comforting. Yeah. And, and Benjamin Orr's voice is just perfect on it. You can't go on thinking nothing's wrong. One thing I just want to mention about the cars that I, I that like kind of perplexes me, <laughs> um, but I love it too, is the drumming mm. is almost always closed hi hat. Yeah, yeah. There, you know, there's he goes with the changes. He he plays fills where he needs to play fills, but I don't. I can't think of like a song when he's on the ride cymbal. Yeah, or that's... open hi hats. I wonder if he just didn't like the sound. I, I it leaves that... so much room for everything else. Yeah. yeah. It, it's, and he was the art director for like a lot of the album covers and he kind of designed that. logos for the band. So it makes me feel like, um, you know, it's just me writing the story, but <laughs> like that, um, you know, he had this like overall picture and knew like, you know, I need, to, I have basically three melodic instruments in this band. We got the guitar, we got the synth, we got the vocals, which is a lot. And it can yeah. easily get cluttered and things can interfere with each other. So he just stays on that closed hi-hat almost all the time. Mm. And it and it's it like in a, playing in a band, I'm always like, you gotta go to the crash symbol <laughs> yeah. here. You gotta yeah. open the hi-hats. And, yeah. and to hear this, it's just like amazing. Like, wow, it just works so well. Some hair. What uh, what are we listening to? We're listening to a tisket a tasket, which is the song that gave us Ella Fitzgerald in many ways. I went back and forth on whether or not to choose this so much, and I still kind of feel like I'm in the process of making that decision. But we're taping it, so I've made the decision. We're doing a tisket a tasket by Ella Fitzgerald. That's what this is. <laughs> so this is a weird choice <laughs> for sure. I thought about the reason why this song is so recognizable to me personally and kind of an interesting thing I had never thought about. Um, this song is alphabetically the first thing that comes up on my phone. <laughs> so when I get in my Bluetooth enabled car, this is the first song that comes up every single time I turn things on. Um, yeah. Like it is a great song and she's one of my favorite artists of all time, but that is such a weird modern element to discovering and listening to music. Like the fact that there's a hyphen after the A in this song gave it priority over all the other thousands of songs in the list. <laughs> but it also used to be, I have to point out, and, and uh, that it used to be uh, AM yeah. by One Direction. Yeah, because I wrote right? the boy and band so course. <laughs> Won't you stay to the AM? All my favorite conversations. For forever, you get in the car and just like, won't you yeah. stay to the A? And it's like, oh my God, you got to find another song. Play. Like, and there's no way to turn, <laughs> as soon as you turn the car on, it's if your phone is paired with it, it just starts playing. Mm -hmm. You don't have to, you're not choosing to listen to music. It's like when YouTube put music in uh, on Apple, right? Like, like on on iPods. Um, they, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they put their entire. I was gonna say the refrigerator, but that was a South Park episode. That was a popstar, never stop, never stopping. Yeah, yeah, there it is. But anyway, but that, that's just an interesting <laughs> thing. Like so much of how we we discover and listen to music is so driven. And I know this isn't like an algorithm thing necessarily, but these types of 
patterns that are not musical. Like, I actually consider doing AM for the same reason. That song, A period, M period, like the same thing, that punctuation puts it in front of all the other music in my list. And for that reason, I'm super familiar with the first 30 seconds of both of those songs, you know, because that's usually the point where it's like, I've heard this a thousand times. I gotta turn it, yeah, yeah. I can change yeah. it. Um, but this song was a little more interesting for me to dig into. So it's the one I went with. I have a funny, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, uh, please. No, please do. Please. But uh, my first song that comes on my phone when I get in the car is ADHD by Kendrick Lamar. See? That, yeah, that's, that was mine. That was mine too for a while. Ways. Yes. That's but that's not good. good because you turn that you yeah. turn on the car and he's like, uh-huh. That's that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He says like every curse in the book, he, right he talks about smoking yeah. weed, Vicodin. Like yeah. he he hits on drug use, curses in five seconds. Yeah. <laughs> uh-uh. Fuck that. Eight doobies to the face. Fuck that. That that would be a good one, a good runner up. But yeah. it's like sometimes, you know, I don't know. You have certain people in my car. I'm like, oh, I better turn that yeah. off real fast. <laughs> yeah. Or pulling out of the parking lot at work, you like with the radio too loud. <laughs> yeah, that, I the exact uh, same song, and I don't. Mine's like a Thundercat song now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, Mahaya, please take us away on this nursery rhyme turned. Uh, it is a nursery recognizable rhyme turned, song. Turned hit song. Um, so it came out in the late 30s, 37, 38-ish. Um, it is the song that made Ella Fitzgerald famous. She based it on the nursery rhyme, unsurprisingly. But something interesting about the lyrics in this. So she wrote them based on her memory of the nursery rhyme. So there are things in here that don't line up with the original English children's game. Perhaps most notably the fact that the basket changed colors. Did you guys know the children's nursery rhyme growing up? Not really. I knew this song from like toy commercials. Yeah, yeah. Like It was in like commercials. Like as a kid, you're watching Saturday morning cartoons. So... This is a funny one because it's like, like I didn't know anyone ever wrote this song. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's just there forever. Yeah. And writing the lyrics is almost an interesting thing in a case like this, or like in a, when it's a poem, for that matter, where you're kind of repurposing existing words. And I think the fact that she did misremember certain things makes it a little bit more of a, yeah, you wrote these because <laughs> mm. they're not what they were, you know? Um, Trisket famously used this song. Yep. In a yeah. campaign where it was a Trisket, a Trisket, something about a biscuit. <laughs> the song originally, like the nursery rhyme version is based on a game that's a lot like Duck, Duck, Goose. But instead of just like you're out when you get caught, you have to tell everyone else the name of your crush kind of thing. Whoa. Um, so yeah, it, it's it's got that like slightly sinister but adorable <laughs> children's game thing. And I think that she captured that melodically you know it feels playful and teasing which is kind of hard to do this is such an aside but children's games and like now that where we are they're like red rover when you think about it too you're literally just like running and charging into a mass of people and like projectiling Mm -hmm. yourself it's a blitz essentially it was a different time i think uh when our parents just said, go play, be back yeah. at yeah. dark. When yeah. the streetlights go out. Um, yeah. yeah. Or, or Ring Around the, the Rosie. Isn't that about the play? Yeah. That's so dark. Um, this yeah, one's not that now. dark. We can play that now. Be fine. <laughs> this one's just kind of nonsensical. Uh, to my knowledge, there's no weird metaphor behind the basket or anything like that. But anyway, that was a little bit of a tangent. Originally in the nursery rhyme, it's a green and yellow basket, which I think is what a lot of people remember it as. She remembered brown and yellow basket, so slightly less colorful basket. She and Chick Webb, who Chick Webb and his orchestra are who she did the song with, um, but they wrote a follow-up to this song. Do you remember when I sang a tisket? And a tasket, I lost my basket. Oh, yes, we did. We're sorry that you lost. Um, not as successful, so <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, there's a line I, I wanted to point out, just like that. Uh, and if she doesn't bring it back, I think that I will die. Is mm. uh, it's like, pretty just, dark. yeah, 
It was like a nursery rhyme. But... Well, and that's what the follow-up song is about. So in the follow-up song, she finds the mm. little girl who took her basket and confronts her, essentially. <laughs> um, so lyrics are typically the thing I get most excited about. Excited about, yeah. And lyrically, is this a fascinating song? Probably not. It doesn't make too much sense, and it's just kind of playful. But I think that speaks to how, how good the melody writing is and also right. her voice. Like, there's not going to be a hey. voice like that ever again. No. Supposedly her pitch is so perfect that her band tuned their instruments to her, you know, which I do think instruments should do all the time anyway, if you're yeah. supporting a singer. But the fact that they did that rather than a tuning pipe is pretty cool. I love that. Hmm. She was also known for her, just like her feel and her time. If you listen to this, it like all the words come out so naturally and so perfectly. Like she's not, she's never too far behind or ahead of anything. It just feels right. Speaking of timing, I think this being a song that came out in the swing era, it fits that nursery rhyme thing so perfectly. They both have that energy that just kind of pushes you forward. There are a bunch of different versions, too, of this track, but like just the orchestration up front, what makes this song recognizable, just the... Like that that (laughs) intro, that that arranged intro is, is very, very prominent. I would admit that I have not listened to enough of her, and I know that I should and absolutely have to. I think that I always, from this era and singers from this era, I was always probably gravitating more towards Sarah Vaughn. Similar, like just in terms of like legendary voices and, and unique sounds and tones and just, just unbelievable artist. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot that uh, you can tap into there for sure. But um, yeah, yeah, it has an interesting thing though because I think there is um, like of that era. There's a lot of there's a lot of I want to say this correctly. Um, there's a lot of melancholy that is beautiful and tugs at your heartstrings so much. Like Sarah Vaughan, Billie Holiday, a lot of you know, jazz oh, yeah. singers. Ella Fitzgerald, there's something very joyful about the timbre of her voice. It's just always sweet in a very unique way. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I don't know how she hits you so hard emotionally without sounding devastated, basically. But like, this is a silly children's song and you still kind of feel like she's at certain points getting to your core. And that's amazing to me. The vocal phrasing is so nice. Yeah. It's, mm. it's just almost like talking. Mm-hmm. Every line rolls off the tongue nicely like it would in conversation but of course you know it's sung masterfully and to get back to what you said about narrative like she's really able to deliver a story like she's a great storyteller Mm -hmm. 100% the clarity in that vocal too is just yeah it's Mm -hmm. unbelievable from that era especially think about the time yeah yeah like, like this oh, isn't man. tuned up or anything. <laughs> it's not like tripled. This is somebody hit record. Actually, somebody hit record an hour after they gave the band the parts. And this is what mm. came out. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. <laughs> it is. To think of like what they had to do to yeah. nail these recordings. And it, to sound like that is incredible. Being able to read down a chart or follow a conductor that precisely where... This is Chick Webb's band. This isn't two people. This is a mm-hmm. solid group of people who all had to nail it. <laughs> I'm almost having a panic attack thinking about like, okay, here's your chart. We're we're tracking this in a, in an hour, and also like the studio's costing us money, so like we got like one <laughs> or two takes. So don't yeah. be the one person that ruins this entire production. Yeah, don't us, let your please. fingers slip. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Oh man, I got two minutes and forty seconds. <laughs> 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 Yeah, because I've had those Whoops. moments now where somebody messes up a little bit and you're like, man, we have to do another take. But imagine yeah. if that other take's costing yeah. you or another We have week. to just overdub that now. Yeah. Yeah. We have to punch that in. And that becomes frustrating. <laughs> but it's like, no, they had to nail it. And they had just learned it. Um, mm. Decca didn't want to release this originally. It's a nursery rhyme. I could see a serious record label being like, yeah, no, this isn't going to be it. Um, but... Chick Webb convinced them to do it, and thanks to that, we have Ella Fitzgerald. I mean, she was an incredible talent. We would have had her anyway, I think. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Um, Harmonically, there's not too much to talk about. It's got a lot of just kind of the jazz chords you would expect, all the 1625 type moments, but used really masterfully, I think. 
just those little yeah. bits of variation and the moments when it's like we're going to a new chord progression it's still something that you're familiar with and can recognize but nothing draws too much focus from her vocal no 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 just a little yellow basket three quarters of the way into the song you get the call and response with the band i love that about this era yeah. That like Cap Calloway stuff. Like anytime yeah. the horn players put their horns down and start singing, which sounds like I that don't like their awesome. horn playing, but I do. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's something Little great. Conversation. It's cool. Yeah. And you picture them doing the coordinated moves behind the bandstand. <laughs> it's great. I love they do that. Um, uh, sometimes in like old Elvis recordings too. Uh-huh. Like the background singers will say like, um, let him be your teddy bear you know like they they're like yeah, singing yeah. about elvis for yeah. you <laughs> it's like are you the voice of god i don't really understand what role you're playing we're so here. used to like the the background voices repeating like the same pronoun like mm-hmm. i me and then but like sometimes in those old songs like you let him <laughs> right and it's like it just it plays an entirely different role all of a sudden like when you're saying the same pronouns, you really get the sense that the band is an extension of the singer. Yeah. And here it's like, no, they're helping them work through this thing or they're their wingmen or whatever, you know? Right. Um. <laughs> but I love the call and response in this. I find it very adorable. <laughs> I saw a, a video clip of this. I guess it's, it was in a film. Um, they were all riding a bus and like the people, there's a couple of people like playing instruments and and they're like asking her questions and she's like, yeah, ah. <laughs> you know, the call and response is great because like different people in different parts of the bus are like, hey, what about? <laughs> and it feels like a musical, you know, which like it, it yeah. very well could have been in the era. So many jazz standards were. Ella Fitzgerald, Freddie Mercury. I don't even know if I can think of a third voice I'd put in that, like, here's a person who perfectly expressed a sentiment while also happening to have one of the greatest voices we'll ever hear. Like you said, she's an amazing storyteller. A little yellow basket. Um, I wouldn't mind, would you share a little bit more with our audience just about the music that you make, uh, where they can find you, what's uh, what's up for uh, the MPP podcast coming down the pipe, um, just anything you want to share right now, the floor is yours. Well, cool. Thank you. Um, most All my work is connected to brianfunk.com. Yeah. I do my music there. The podcast is connected there. I'm very big into... Um, sound design and um i create specifically really like ableton live packs where i make instruments <laughs> like anything i can find that makes sounds that you can then use in your own productions um i've been doing that a long time um that's really what got me going i think as far as like being on the internet goes <laughs> um because i put out um a a playable instrument i made out of a sample of my laptop feedbacking if you've ever like <laughs> had your DAW open and the speaker's on and you hit the record button and the microphone is right next to the speaker. It makes that horrible noise, but I sampled it because it's a pitch. So I placed it in the sampler and then you can play it like a piano type instrument. And um, that weekend I got more people downloading that than like ever for any music I've ever done for anything. So I was like, cool, I'm going to keep doing this. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So I just kept doing it. Um, so I got a ton of free stuff if people want it on the site that you can use in your own music. And then I do like more deeper things that I sell. Um, but that avenue, and I'm teaching a Berkeley class, Berkeley Online sampling class. That's why I love this topic that we had today so much because it's about like creating your own unique sound. Mm. And um, for me, that's why I like sampling things and trying to see like, you know, what will happen if I, you know, that's not a great example, but if I like I mean, nice. bang on something, well, what happens if I pitch that out and stretch the yep. sample and reverse it and who knows what and then try to play it on a keyboard? You get these sounds like no one else has. Mm. They're yep. your thing. And you know, we all get the same presets in our DAWs or our synths or whatever, but um, finding like this unique thing to me is always really fascinating. And I think that's a big part of what makes uh, these songs we've been talking about special and recognizable is that sort of work. So mm. that's like a big thing I'm into. 
even as a listener, there's something even intangible, like you don't know where that sound came from. But like, I think that we can feel that a little bit, that it's not like there is something special happening with that, that sound source as well. But uh, I think please that's go. true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, I have a track that I did a, like, I guess like almost 15 years ago now. Um, and I was doing a really quiet acoustic, uh, classical guitar part. It's like a rock song, but then it gets real quiet. And, and my cat, was in the room and you know cats are they (laughs) are only interested in you when you're trying to do something yeah (laughs) so he's like weaving between my legs as i'm like trying to sit there and record this part and his little collar is jingling you know and i was so close to like just doing it again to keep a clean recording but i decided to keep it yeah Yeah. and now when i hear that track you know he's he's since passed away Mm. and I can listen to that and it takes me to the moment I was recording. I remember the room I was in. I remember him walking through there and I can hear that sound that I used to hear all the time of him like, you know, doing whatever he did. And it makes that track like, it's my favorite part of the track and it's Mm -hmm. like, I didn't even play it, you know. (laughs) (laughs) And that's going to do it for this episode of Themes and Variation. Thank you so much for listening. We want to know your favorite songs that you can recognize in the first five seconds. So as always, there's a link to a Spotify community playlist in our show notes. Feel free to add your selections there. Please remember to give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe if you're really digging the show. And of course, be sure to check out soundfly.com for all of your music learning needs. And as a special treat, we're going to play this one out with Brian's track from his Project Nairb record, Forest Far, Midnight Frost. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode and a new theme. <laughs>